thing. Peter was very sure that he would never fail. Luke twenty two thirty three. look at it again. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and into death. Man, he is ready to go, isn't he? Right? In this sentence, though, what is the main thing, the, the capitalized problem that you can see in this sentence specifically? It's one word. I. They even capitalized it so we could see it easier. Lord, I am ready to go with thee. Peter was very confident in this fact. As I read and I study this passage, the more I believe that Peter, he wasn't really being hypocritical here. The problem is not as much that Peter was some sort of hypocrite. The problem here is that Peter had confidence that was misplaced. When Peter said, Lord, I am going to do this, he was dedicating himself to do it. The problem with this is that the Bible never instructs us to dedicate ourselves. As a matter of fact, throughout the Bible, we're told over and over again to deny ourselves. And as we can see through the actions of Peter here, we don't learn to deny ourselves, then pretty soon what we're going to start doing is we're going to start denying Christ instead. Peter is full of himself here, and that prevents him from being able to know his own heart. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't know our hearts, just as Peter didn't know his, because it's desperately, or in our terms today, it's incurably wicked. Our hearts, left unattended. Our hearts, our desires, are incurably wicked. For this reason, Peter... Or people don't usually fall when they're at their weakest point. Usually when we're at our weakest point, we've already fallen. People fall when they're at their strongest point. When things are starting to go well. When things are going good. That's the reason that they fail. Because we as human beings, things start to go well. We start to get our eyes off God. We're like, man, look how great I'm doing. I'm doing okay. And then we have start having confidence in our abilities and our strengths, and that's when we fail. We see examples of this all over in the Bible. We see Simon Peter. If you were to pick one thing and you were to say, man, Simon Peter's greatest strength was what? Um, I would say some people may have different answers. My, from my study, I would say Simon Peter's greatest strength would be his courage. Peter was the one that drew out the sword on the high priest in the garden. Peter was the one that got out of the boat to walk on the water. Peter was overloaded with courage. And where did he fail? His courage failed as he was stumbling and shaking in front of some teenage girl. He didn't fail at his weakest point. He failed at his strongest point. I got another example for you. Abraham. What would you say Abraham's strongest point was? I mean, if you read through the Bible and you go by what the Bible says, it would be his faith. Abraham was the father of the faithful. But when he failed in his life, he failed in the aspect of faith. He went down into Egypt instead of into Canaan where God had placed him. He lied about his wife Sarah to save his own hide. And why would he do that? Quite simply because he wouldn't or couldn't, whatever you want to say, trust God to get him through whatever situation he was in at the time. That's faith, and he failed there. But that was his strongest point. Example three is Moses. What was Moses' greatest strength? 
Well, the Bible calls him the meekest man who ever lived. So I would say it's meekness. Meekness means it's the ability to be taught or the ability to be led. It doesn't mean that you're some sort of effeminate wimp, right? When the Bible says that, that Moses was a meek man, it means that he was teachable, wanting to be led, able to be led. Moses, however, failed in this point that the Bible specifically says was his strongest point. He became a murderer and killed an Egyptian. <laughs> and because of this, he would eventually spend 40 years on the backside of the desert. He didn't fail, again, at his weakest point. He failed at his strongest point. What about David? What would you say David's strongest point was? I think if you really look at it and you think about it, right, and you want to put it in just one, it would be his integrity. David was a man, the Bible says, after God's own heart, a man of integrity. And yet where did he fail? He sacrificed his integrity on the altar of his lust. He had an affair with, on his wife. He had a child. Evangelist Oswald Chambers wrote, an unguarded strength is actually a double weakness. Here was Simon Peter saying, Lord, I'll go with you anywhere. I'll go with you even if it means I go to prison or I die. Okay. All right. And yet he failed at this very point. Because he dedicated himself. He said, I'm going to do this. Christ and self can't sit on the same throne in your life. You can't say that Christ is number one in your life, and then your actions and your thoughts say that you are number one in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So let's fast forward in this story, okay? So we're all ready in Luke 22, go to verse 54. Luke chapter 22, verse 54. So remember, we've already read, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and, and Peter says, look, Lord, I will never leave you. I'll never deny you. I love you, even if it means I go to prison, even if it means they kill me. Doesn't matter. Okay, all right. Luke 22, 54. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. Who's the him? It's Jesus, right? So they take Jesus, they lead him, take him to the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. Already, boom. Already he's, he's, already he's not doing what he said, right? I'm, I'm with you. I'm right with you. Right? All the way back here. Okay? And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall... And were set down together, Peter sat down among them. Who's the them? It's not the apostles, right? It's all these unbelievers, right? But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. Remember, the him is Jesus. So this guy was with Jesus before. And he denied him saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. Talking about those Galileans, those, those apostles. You're with those Jesus peeps. You're with those freaks. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another, confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, 
while he spake the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he hath said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Here we see the worst night of Peter's life. I can say that confidently. He's warming himself at the fire of the enemies of the Lord, following Jesus, but from afar off. And he's talking, uh, someone, as he's talking, someone picks up on his hillbilly Galilean accent that he's got. And they say, hey, you're a Galilean. Your speech betrays you. What happens? Once, twice, thrice. The Apostle Peter denies that he even knows the Lord. Not even that he was with him. Yeah, I mean, I know that guy, but I'm not with that guy. That, that wasn't even the case. He says, I don't even know that guy. And then, he hears the cock crow. What Peter learned when the rooster crowed was the same thing that I hope that we all learned this morning. And that is that failure is not final. Because if you failed, and I'm sure we all have, if not, then just wait because you will. If you fail, thank God there is hope for you. Because the Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. Now, there are three things that I want you to learn about the crowing of this rooster that I think are very important. All right? Number one, the first thing that I want you to learn about this crowing rooster is that in times of failure, we need to see the sovereignty of Jesus. Number one, in times of failure, we need to see the sovereignty of Jesus. Sometimes that word sovereignty gives us trouble here in the United States because we don't have a sovereign, right? We don't have a king or a queen. Um, we have a president instead. But the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is sovereign. He is Lord. Now, if you trip, if you fall, if you fail, get your eyes off of your failure and get them onto the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why I'm correlating this truth with the rooster. Okay? How did the rooster show Simon Peter the sovereignty of Jesus Christ? Look with me at verse 60. Luke chapter 22 and verse 60. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, when he yet spake the cock crew, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. What's so interesting about this, you might ask? That rooster crowed at that exact and precise time. That is nothing less than a miracle. Now, from everything that I've read, I can say two things are true. And, and Stacy, although she just got here, Stacy, let me tell you, you can probably, uh, she has roosters and chickens at her house. I don't know if anybody else does. Well, Quinn's got a turkey, um, which is kind of like their weird cousin, right? Um, but I would say that the only thing more difficult than trying to make a rooster crow when you want him to is trying to keep him from crowing at any other time, right? So that, I know that seems little, but think about the scope of this miracle then for a second. Our Lord, during this time frame, had to keep 
every single rooster in Jerusalem from crowing until that exact moment, that precise moment. And then exactly, immediately following what Peter did, then this specific rooster crowed. And now notice what it says here about Peter. Right right after this happens, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord. He remembered the word of the Lord. He no doubt had thought to himself in that moment, he's still in control. Right? I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. He thought, man, God is still in control here. Now, things had obviously gotten out of hand for Peter. I mean, things had really gotten out of hand. His Lord and Master had been betrayed. He had been falsely accused. He had been arrested and taken away. And the whole thing now is starting to come apart. I've started following this guy, Jesus. I've dedicated my whole life to this guy. And now everything around me is now falling apart. Where is God here? Now, many of us have probably thought that same thing at one point or another in our lives. I just lost my job. I am losing my house. My business is losing money. My doctors told me it's cancer. Um, my spouse is cheating on me. My kids are running amok. I, I, I can't believe I did that with this woman or this man. Where is God in this situation? When we begin to think that way, we need to remember what Peter learned at the moment, and that is our Lord is still in complete control. Nothing has gotten out of hand. Psalm chapter 8, verse 6 says, Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. Our Lord Jesus Christ has never lost his dominion. Even when he was being crucified, he said, No man taketh my life, I layeth it down myself. What happened to Peter is that when things began to unravel, it started turning into, in his mind, doubt. And doubt then turned to fear. And fear then led to the denial. I mentioned this Wednesday night, faith is believing God in spite of appearances and obeying God in spite of consequences. If you fail in this area of your life, remember the sovereignty of the Lord. Do you believe that the Lord is actually having everything under control? If you actually believe that, then you, know, you have to believe it when you read this passage and see that the rooster is crowing at this precise moment. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13 says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Peter denied Jesus, but Jesus did not deny himself. And therefore, he didn't deny Peter. He is the Christ of sovereignty. He's still in control. Look with me, if you will, if you have your Bibles open this morning. Keep your finger here in Luke 22. And turn with me really quickly to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, And we know that all things, work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So in this passage, when it says, and we know that all things work together for good, what, what are all things? Well, 
Peter's denial was an all thing, right? Peter's cursing was an all thing. God makes all things work together. Did you know that God can use your backsliding in your life for good? Backsliding is not good. And if you're backsliding, you are going to suffer now, in the future, at some point. Peter himself wept bitterly. It would have been far better had he not done it. But Peter's failure did not cause our God to fail. Jesus never failed. Even though Peter denied him, he still didn't fail. And he can't deny himself. Our Lord was in absolute sovereign control of this entire situation. And in times of failure, we need to see the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. All right, number two. The second thing that I want you to see about this rooster crowing. In times of failure, we need to see the sympathy of Jesus. All right? In times of failure, we need to see the sympathy of Jesus. Point number two. Jesus never stops loving us even though we fail. Never. Luke twenty-two sixty-one. 61. Take a look back at it again. Luke 22 and verse 61. It says, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. What was this look, I wonder, that Jesus gave to Peter? Was it a, was it a spiteful look? Was it a, a hateful look? A vengeful look? I know that my wife can give my kids a look from across the room and, and they can lock it up real quick. Was it, was it, a, was it a mom lock it up look? I mean, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think it was a look of injured love. He looked out at Peter, and I think even though this was going on during the time, I think that he still worried about Peter. Even in the midst of his suffering and, and humiliation, Jesus' I'm talking about, not Peter's. I mean, think about what Jesus was going through here. Even during this time, the Lord had his eyes upon his backslidden disciple. Jesus doesn't change you so that he can love you. Jesus loves you so that he can change you. If you have failed, Jesus still loves you. I don't care what the failure is. But listen now. He loves you as you are. But he loves you far too much to leave you that way. So I praise the Lord that when I got saved in 2005, the Lord loved me just how I was because I was not lovable. But I also praise the Lord that he loved me too much to leave me that way. His love is what changes you. If we are relating this to a passage, Jesus did not come to simply improve Peter's self-life. He came to replace Peter's self-life. Now, Peter was surprised when he failed here. Nobody was more surprised, I'm sure, than Peter at the whole thing and how it shook out. But because, like I said before, I don't believe Peter was being a hypocrite when he told Jesus, look, I'll deny you all the way to the grave. I don't think he was being hypocritical here. I think he meant what he said. Lord, I'm going to follow you to prison, even unto death. You know, many times I have had things, thoughts and words that have, you know, erupted out of me, whether it's if Nicole and I are in an argument or I'm yelling at my kids or, you know, a thought that, you know, somebody at work or whatever. And I've been surprised at myself. I'll be like, 
Where did that come from? Right? Anybody else have that? I know I can't be the only one, right? That something goes through your mind or comes out of your mouth. You're like, where did that come from? And I've learned over time that my, my self-life has not improved one iota since I've been saved. And, and, and to be honest with you, neither of yours. Peter learned that in spite of all, this Jesus, who is in complete control, has never, 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 never stopped loving him. Listen to me now. There is nothing that you can do that will make Christ love you more than he loves you right now. That's not how this works. And there is nothing that you can do conversely that will make him to stop loving you as much as he does right now. And that's the thing, right? That's that thing. You say, well, I, I feel like I have to earn his love. That feels like something I should earn. And I'm telling you, you're wrong. You don't. Romans 5 eight. but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the sovereignty of God, ladies and gentlemen. And if you are a sinner, and I know that you are, don't ever let the devil tell you that God is through with you, because he's not. That, don't let the devil tell you that you blew it. Don't let the devil tell you, look, just give up. Just give up. Stop trying. He'll never love you anymore. God has not given up on you. God loves you. This Christ of sovereignty is also a Christ of sympathy. Number three, point number three. The third thing that I want you to see about this cock crowing this morning, this rooster crowing, is that in times of failure, we need to see our security in Jesus. Our security in Jesus. Look with me again at Luke chapter 22 and verse 61. And it says, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the words of the Lord. How he said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter remembered the word of the Lord. What was the word of the Lord that he's even remembering? Okay, remember, we read that. Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, right? So um, probably a couple pages or a couple of swipes on the old tablet or, or phone that you got here. Luke 22 and verse 31. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may not sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, not meaning saved here, but when you are turned, is what it's talking about here, strengthen thy brethren. So, again, what does this all mean? I know sometimes we, we, we've talked about this, but you know it's in King James English. Sometimes you're like, man, there's lots of thouists and thouists here. I'm not 100% sure. Am I getting this right? There were two individuals very interested in Peter that day, all right, breaking it down here. There were two individuals that were very interested in what was going on with Simon Peter that day. And they were specifically interested in his failure. One was Jesus. The other was Satan. Those two individuals, very interested in what was happening here. Now, why was Satan so interested in Peter? Well, the Lord tells him here, because he wanted to sift him like wheat. I mean, okay, so I don't know how many people here 
know about that, but why would you sift wheat? That is absolutely right. You, you want to get out all the bad stuff. I should know, we have a baker here, right? You got to get all the bad stuff out, right? And back in these days, they had what was called a threshing floor. And the wheat would be processed on this threshing floor. And much like I'm sure there's some sort of new way to do it, right? All the, the, the chaff and the rocks and the sticks and, and the bad stuff was left on the floor. And there's a sieve and then you shake it and all the junk comes to the top. And what does Satan want to do with your life? Much the same thing. He wants to sift you so that all your flaws, all the rocks and the sticks and the junk in your life, comes to the top. Why does he want to find those things? So that Satan can say, Joey, you did this thing two months ago. Remember you did that? I know that you think you're doing good by doing nursery or the, or, or the, or the sound booth. I know you think you're doing good by reading your Bible and doing devotions. But remember that thing that you did two months ago? God still knows that. He can never forgive you for that. You might as well just stop doing everything that you're doing. God, doesn't, God can't love you because of that. And that's a teenager. What about us as adults? What about somebody like me that cursed and swore and drank and did all kinds of crazy things before I was saved? I was not a good person. Now, if I would have gone out and met you and shook your hand, you'd be like, oh, that's a nice guy. Weird, but nice guy, right? I'm sure. But, but in my heart, I, 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 was, I was awful. The things that I watched, the things that I said, the things that I listened to, the things that I did, the, the repercussions that that caused in my own life, I was awful. But God loved me anyway. And when I first got saved, don't think that I was exempt from that. I got saved, and there were so many times, especially at the beginning of my salvation, my Christian walk, that, that the devil would be talking to me in my ear, not audibly, right? That, again, would be weird, but, but you know, it, it, I would hear him in my mind, and it would be like, look, God can't love you. You're not even saved. All these things that you did before, that's not true, though, because God's word says otherwise. But he's very interested in these rocks and sticks and the Lord wants you to be sifted and he's going to let the devil do it. Because the Bible doesn't make any... He doesn't, they, it doesn't hide the fact that it calls the devil the accuser of the brethren and that he's going to accuse you and condemn you. But the devil's looking for flaws and the Lord is looking for the wheat. Right? Does that make sense? So... The rocks and the sticks are bad. The wheat is good. God wants you to be sifted so that God can say, Hey, Stacy, here's all your bad stuff. That's just part of who you are. These things that have happened in your past, the things you've done, the things you're trying to overcome, these are all things that are, it is what it is, right? I'll help you through those. But here's your wheat. And many times what happens is, the wheat is like this, and the sticks are like this. And what do we focus on? This. And we let this 
ruin this. Why do you think there's people who sit in seats in churches and then they're gone? People that are like, man, that person was awesome. I really like that person. They would sing all the songs. They'd be here all the time. They helped do this. They did that. And then they're gone. That's not a coincidence. It happens because they're concentrating on the this and not the this. Now, look, churches, the church today, that is why we have the local church today. That's why God has told us in the Bible that it's so important that we be part of a local church. Right? If not a member, at least coming. Right? But he wants you to be a member also because it, it is different. Right? Whether it's just a placebo or not, and it's not. But whether it's for you, just a placebo or not, if you've been coming here for 10 years and you just have never been put on the roll because you haven't joined, it's just a formality at that point. But it's still a formality that is something that in your mind is like, look, I am a member of this church. I am a member of the body of Christ. And then you sharpen me and I sharpen you. When, when Quinn is having a tough time, he can call me or text me. Now, he can do that anyway if he weren't a member. But when you are, it's the difference between talking to a buddy and talking to your mom or dad. Right? Because one is family and one isn't. And can there be friends that are as close to family? Yes. All right? But you know what I'm saying here. And, and that is why God has ordained you to do that. God has ordained us to be part of this, this family. Jesus allows you to be sifted not to condemn you, but to cleanse you. But notice what the Lord says here. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee. Now, keep those in balance and you'll understand the whole thing. Satan may desire you, but he can't destroy you. Satan may tempt you, but he can't take you. Jesus may allow it so that the impurities of your life can come to the surface and you can more clearly see them, you can more clearly then understand them. And yet at the same time, so that the weak may be gathered at Jesus' feet. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee. And let me tell you something, the same Jesus that prayed for Peter has prayed and is praying for you right now. How can, how can you possibly know that, you may be saying to me? I'm glad you asked that. Turn with me, if you have your Bible this morning, to John chapter 17. The book of John, verse 17. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Verse, chapter 17 and verse 9. So, I want to prove to you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God is praying for you right now. John 17 and verse 9. Jesus said, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. You say, okay, but isn't he praying for the disciples here? Isn't this talking about the disciples? Yes, but he was praying for more than just them. Look at verse 15, John 17, 15. He says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. So he doesn't just pray, Lord, you know, Lord, I love these guys, take them to heaven, right? He doesn't just say that. 
you know, I, I pray, Lord, that while they are here on earth, you're going to keep them. And they will be secure. Just like he prayed for Peter. You'll say, look, well, that was 2,000 years ago. John 17, 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Just put your name in that verse, right? Neither pray I for these alone, but for Alan Harrell, or Nicole Harrell, or Daniel, or Joey, or Gabby, right? I pray for this person. Put your name there. Our Lord at this moment could see you sitting here today in this very room, in that very seat. He knew that you would need prayer. And he says, I, I, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the world. You say, well, what if his prayer wasn't answered? Are you kidding me? So what is Jesus doing here right now? Hebrews 7, 25. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. When the Bible says here that he is able to save unto the uttermost, what does that mean exactly? Does it mean that he's able to save the worst of sinners? No, I mean he is able to do that, but that's not what this means. What this means is that he's able to save you unto the end. All the way, right? He's able to save you all the way. He's never going to lose you. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to say, here, I'm going to save you 60% and the rest is going to be Hail Marys and, and uh, baptism even or communion even or how you dress or how many old ladies you walk across the street or whatever, right? The same Jesus that prayed for Simon Peter is now in glory praying for you. Even when you fail, he's praying for you. Now, does that encourage you? Because it ought to. Right? So, I fail. You fail. Saints throughout the Old Testament failed. Simon Peter failed. But when the rooster crowed, a new day was dawning. God's mercies are new every morning. Jeremiah 18.4 And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel and seemed good to the potter to make it. I love that verse. That, that is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. So he made it again another vessel. Another vessel. God is not through with you despite your failure. But there must be repentance. There has to be repentance. I heard a quote once that said, real repentance is vomiting of the soul. I'm sorry if that grosses you out, but that, but that is a very good, that's a very good picture. The vomiting of the soul. Think back to the time, a time when you really got sick. You know, not just, I didn't feel good. You remember those times when you're like, I'm never eating again sick, right? I am never touching a drop of food ever again sick. It's terrible because what it feels like is that your body is like retching to get the sick stuff out of your body. That is how Simon Peter felt when he was out there and he wept. And he wept bitterly. And I'm praying that your sin will break your heart today. 
And that you'll heave from your heels and go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sick of it. I honestly, sincerely repent of my sins. Peter wept bitterly concerning his sin, and there was a new day for him. And there can be a new day for you too. Let's bow our heads in prayer.